Amen. Hey, if you have your Bibles, Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, verse 17 is where we'll be today. Thank you, team, the worship team, Dakota and leading us. As you're turning there to Romans 12, most of you know that I played soccer growing up, and the last game of the regular season of my senior year, we were playing Putnam City Original. Um, now, if you're from Putnam City, that's where you went. I, I know you weren't there during this story, okay? Um, but we were playing Putnam City Original, and we were playing there at their stadium. Now, to my knowledge and recollection, we never played Putnam City um, before that. And so, to my knowledge, it was the first time we had ever met in a, in a game. So there's no rivalry. There's no heated history between the two teams. And, but when we got there, even just during warm-ups, the environment was hostile. Their student section actually showed up to a soccer game, and they were spewing insults at us. They had signs made up. Their whole section uh, it, there had to be like 50 of them, and they were down there near where we were warming up and just yelling at us and, and things that I can't repeat to you um, right now, but they were just yelling things at us. They had their signs. I'm like, dude, where is this coming from? Like, where is this hostile spirit coming from? We don't know you. You don't know us, and you're not very good, so where, where is this coming from? And, they, and then the game got going. And to this day, I played soccer for 16, 17 years. Before that or after that, I had never played in such a dirty game. Their players, some on our team, sure, but their players were dirty. Punches being thrown, elbows being thrown. You know, you can slide tackle in soccer, but these were really dangerous, dirty slide tackles that they were, that they were utilizing. And, of course, we ended up winning like 5-2. to two. It wasn't really a close game, but they were just hostile. And there's a universal sign of disrespect out there that it doesn't matter the language, doesn't matter the nation, doesn't matter the culture, that if you were to do this to another human being, it is degrading and it's disrespectful. And it's spitting on another human being. I have never been spit on until that game. And some of it got in my face. And all I can say is my blood was boiling. This was my last regular season game of Ponca City Wildcats. We, we still had some playoffs after that, but this was, this was it. This was the ending to the career at Ponca City High School Soccer. And I'm getting spit on by a team that I don't know you. And my blood was boiling, I was irate, my flesh was fuming, I wanted to pop the guy in the mouth, that's about all I wanted to do, not a pastoral kind of moment. <laughs> yeah, it happens. Still to this day it happens. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> and I look back at that situation, it leaves me with the question, how are we, as Christians, followers of Jesus, how are we to react 
in such situations as that. In such hostile environments. How are we to react to such a hostile opposition? Now, one of the many points that we've seen in Romans 12 is this. How you think determines how you act. Implying how you think will also determine how you react. And remember, as we saw early on, you you can't think too highly of yourself. You you ought to think like Jesus or, or John the Baptist. We must decrease, he must increase. We can't think too highly of ourselves. Instead, we must think like Jesus and we must act like Jesus. We must serve one another. And as we saw last week, that service is no good without love. So we must serve in love. We must love each other, and that love must be authentic, it must be passionate, it must be humble. So as we saw last week, we must love authentically and passionately and humbly. But everything thus far we've looked at has ultimately dealt with our internal disposition, our way of thinking externally lived out towards the church. How do I treat you? How do you treat me as a fellow brother and sister in Christ? The question is, how should we externally live or act or react towards the world? How should we externally act or react or live towards the world? A world that loves the darkness more than the light, as Jesus would say, for fear of their sins being exposed. A world whose ideology, perspective, worldview, a world whose behaviors and lifestyles stand in complete opposition blatantly to Christianity. A world that is hostile to Jesus and hostile to his followers. Remember what Jesus said to them, the world will hate you. They'll hurl insults at you. They'll be hostile towards you. So how should we react in such a hostile environment to such a hostile opposition? How should we react to evil in the world, to injustices, to darkness? How should we respond to this world? Well, it seems that Paul assumed we would wonder that question. Because in verse 17 and on into chapter 13, he shifts his attention really to our external relationship with the world. Now, the foundation he's laid out is crucial and it doesn't change. How we think will determine how we act. We must think like Jesus. We must act like Jesus. We must serve. We must serve in love. And as we just sang, and it comes from the words of Jesus, by our love for each other, the world will know that we are followers of Jesus. They'll know who we belong to. But this is Paul's response to how we ought to react in such a hostile environment, to such a hostile opposition. This is what he says. Look at verse 17. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. Peter says something almost verbatim, the exact same, in 1 Peter chapter 3, where he says, don't, in essence, trade insult for insult with another person. Instead, be careful. 
Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone, those inside the church and those outside the church. Verse 18. This is a crucial conditional statement here. If it is possible, and it may not be, but if it's possible, live at peace with everyone as far as it depends on you. So again, it may not be possible, but if it's up to you, live at peace with everyone. And he goes on, he says, verse 19, don't take revenge, my dear friends. Don't take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath or God's judgment. For it's written, this is the Lord speaking, it is mine to avenge, and I will repay, says the Lord. Verse 20, on the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Verse 21, don't be overcome by evil or the temptation to commit evil, but instead overcome evil with good. Now, how ought we to react to the world? The world that is hostile to Jesus and hostile to his church. How ought we to react? Well, no matter what, in essence, what Paul is saying is don't react by the flesh. And instead, react by the Spirit. Don't react according to the way your flesh wants to react. React instead according to how the Spirit would have you react. I don't know if you've ever seen road rage, but it's jarring. I'm talking about with your own two eyes, like you're driving down the highway or down the road and you see road rage. It's jarring and it's very upsetting um, if you've ever seen it. And no joke, I was coming to the church one day several months ago. I know this wasn't any ladies in our church. And so I was driving to the church and I was coming over the bridge uh, our kids call it the grass bridge, the bridge that's got the, the little wheat grass on the side of it over there by the, the elevators and everything. And so we were coming over that bridge, and it's like 7.45 in the morning. You know, everybody's going to work and everything like that. It's a beautiful morning, just like this morning was, and we're, everybody's just driving to work. It's just a normal day. And over here, I see that a woman in a car cuts off another lady. And it was clear as I kind of evaluated that, as I caught eye of it, that it wasn't intentional. She just didn't probably see her or something of that nature. So yes, the woman who got cut off might have been wronged, but her response was responding according to the flesh. She proceeded to just blare on her, or lay on her horn, just blaring it just over and over and over, and then sped up right on her bumper, then got up right next to her. We're coming down the bridge, and she got right up next to her, and I could just see the window going down. I'm like, she's about to hurl some insults, things I can't repeat in here. It's about to be my experience in Putnam City Original. And so she rolls down the window, and I can see she's motioning for that lady 
who cut her off to roll down her window. And the lady, for some reason, did. And, and she rolled it down. And the lady, I could tell, just began to spew insults at her. And this continued on through the stoplights and everything. And finally, the, the one just kind of went off and, and left. But she was getting right up close to her. I mean, just on the verge of wrecking. And I'm sitting there thinking, what should I do? Should I call 911? Like, I don't know what to do in this moment. It's so jarring and upsetting. That is reacting according to the flesh. What your flesh really, really wants to do. It's kind of like, you know, our children. We have Noah, Caroline, and Hannah. Noah's seven, Caroline just turned five, Hannah's two. Hannah, when Noah or Caroline says something or does something that upsets her, she has a little bit of a fit of rage, okay? It didn't come from me. Um, I'm just joking. It probably did. It probably did. Um, Stephanie would nod her head, yes. So she has a bit of this fit of rage, and she sometimes can begin to shake. This little two-year-old, she can begin to shake, and she'll get mad at them, and then I'll, I'll, I'll watch this. She'll proceed to like go over there and just, I can't, she's raring out to punch them or push them as a two-year-old can. Um, if you have children, you've seen this, or if you've ever watched children, you can see this. Um, what is she doing? She's reacting according to the flesh. What Paul is saying is, don't act that way. Naturally, you want to. But in essence, what he's saying is, don't act naturally, act supernaturally. I don't have to teach Hannah to react that way. That just comes naturally to her, just as it comes naturally to us. We don't have to teach it, it just comes naturally. This is how we want to respond but Paul is saying, don't act naturally, act supernaturally, act according to the Spirit of God in you. And so when the world is hostile to you, when someone cuts you off in traffic, or someone gossips about you at work, or someone lies about you, or someone seeks to cause you harm, don't react how the world would react. The world reacts according to the flesh. You, however, as a follower of Jesus... As the city on a hill, as the light in the darkness, as the salt of the earth, you react according to the Spirit. Now this is a a crucial clarification here. Paul's not justifying evil. He's not giving evil a pass. He's not saying to tolerate evil. He's not saying to minimize evil. What Paul is saying is that how we respond to this world's and its hostility towards us, its persecution, its opposition, its darkness, its immorality, so on and so forth, how we react to that must be different. We must live differently. It's in essence, when we signed up to follow Jesus, that's in essence what we said. We die, he lives, we're going to live differently now. That implies how you think must be differently. You must think differently, and thus you must act differently. You must live differently. Now, many people might respond to Paul and say, well, Paul, you just don't understand Western American culture in 21st century. You don't understand what's being said. You don't understand what's happening. You don't understand what's going on. I think it's the other way around. We often don't quite understand Paul's context. The cultural climate of Paul's day, especially in Rome, was hostile to Christianity. Now, Paul is most likely writing this letter from Corinth, 
which is also just a representation in a way of Rome, and all the things were the same in essence. But the cultural climate of Paul's day was hostile to Christianity socially, economically, politically, physically. I'll give you some examples. Christians in that day who refused to participate in idol worship might have compromised their livelihood, lost jobs, lost promotions, so to speak, lost raises, if you will. Easily it could have jeopardized or compromised their livelihood by not participating in idol worship. They could expect, on a regular basis, ridicule from neighbors, family tensions, and for sure, government hostility and harassment. For example, one historian writes this, the central Christian confession, Jesus is Lord, was a big problem for the Roman Empire. Problematic. Those 3,000 at Pentecost in Jerusalem who were declaring Jesus is Lord was problematic for the Roman Empire because the affirmation of the lordship of Jesus was a direct challenge to the absolute rule of the Roman emperor, the Roman leader. See, many Roman emperors were deified. They were declared to be gods, some of them self-declared, especially at their deaths. And all within the empire were expected to show their loyalty to Rome by participating in this imperial cult, paying homage to the current Caesar as Lord. And when Christians refused to do so, it was a big problem. And they very well could be accused of treason. In the same way back in the Reformation, when when some of these guys like Martin Luther and these boys were going against the Catholic Church, when they were calling into question some of their theology and doctrines and practices, it wasn't just that they were having theological issues and they're just going to go hop to the next church down the road and, and, and bygones, let bygones be bygones. What they were doing was seen as an act of treason because the church and the state were so connected. In essence, separation of church and state while we got here in our culture. And because it was an act of treason, that's why many of them were tortured, imprisoned, or killed. But none of this could hardly compare to Nero and his persecution. So the book of Romans, many scholars would put it at around, when it was written, around A.D. 57. So most people thought Paul wrote this in Corinth around 57 A.D. Nero was the emperor of Rome from 54 A.D. to 68 A.D. So when Paul wrote this letter, Nero was the emperor. He was the ruler of Rome. Now the first five years of Nero's reign, many would say it was calm, it was quiet, it was peaceful, at least compared to what was to follow. But according to historians, after Nero's first five years as emperor, one of his trusted advisors died and another one retired. After that, Nero sank into immorality and crime to the point that he was accused of being involved in the murders of his own mother and cousin. And in 64 AD, seven years after Paul supposedly wrote the book of Romans, there was this massive fire in Rome and it destroyed some of these what we would call apartment buildings. 
and it was a very suspicious fire, especially after the Romans figured out that Nero had plans to build a massive palace for himself right about where those ruins were. And so many people blamed Nero for the fire. But to avoid charges, Nero shifted blame to the Christians. Must have been their fault. So after Nero's fire, there's a Roman historian called Tacitus, and he reported that after that fire and after Nero blamed the Christians, large numbers of Christians were arrested and killed. Some were dressed in animal skins and mocked and humiliated, some were torn apart by dogs. Others were crucified. Most scholars believe that Paul and Peter were crucified in Nero's Rome. It's also been reported that Nero burned Christians alive, using them as human torches during his circus races. The abuse was so severe. This is the political government leader of Rome. And the abuse was so severe that even those hostile to Christianity began to criticize Nero's actions. But Nero is notoriously remembered most for instigating this Roman persecution of Christians. And his policy of persecuting Christians was mostly continued by Roman authorities for the next 300 or so years. Longer than the U.S. has even officially been a country. To top it off, the morality in that day, places like Corinth and Rome, that which was openly accepted, tolerated, promoted, celebrated, despite what you and I are witnessing today, would still cause most of us in this room to blush. And how does Paul, in his context, call his readers to live? How ought they to react to such a hostile environment? They are to live differently. They're to think differently. They're to act. They're to react differently. They're to live differently despite the hostile environment. So what does he say? He says, don't repay evil for evil. Be careful, he says. Literally, it means to Think beforehand. Be of right mind. Seek to do what is right in everyone's eyes. Seek to still live in peace with everyone. And that may not be possible again, but if it is up to you, then be at peace with all people. Don't take revenge for yourself. This does not mean don't seek justice. This does not mean don't confront evil. We see plenty of passages Look at John the Baptist who confronted evil. It doesn't mean don't confront evil. Seek to confront evil. Seek justice. And if someone is breaking the law against you or somebody you know, call the authorities. But you yourself, don't take revenge. Don't be overcome by evil. Don't let the temptation to react with evil overtake you. Instead, overcome evil with good. And then he says, feed your enemies. Give them something to drink. Doesn't mean what they've done is okay. But Jesus said it a little differently. He said, love your enemies and pray for them. 
think a different way, live a different way, act and react a different way, speak a different way, react according to the Spirit, not the flesh. Live differently. And I'll give you an example of what that looks like. Stephen, in Acts chapter 7, is recorded as for us as the first martyr that we read about. And Stephen, who is a follower of Jesus in Acts 7, is confronting the religious leaders of his day who were corrupt, who were living in darkness, who were unbelievers, most of them. He's confronting them with the gospel. He's living as the city on a hill, as the light in the darkness, as the salt of the earth, and he's proclaiming the gospel to all of them. But we're told in Acts 7 by Luke that when the members of the Sanhedrin, this leadership council, religious leadership council, when they heard what Stephen had to say, they were furious. They gnashed their teeth at him. They were hostile to the message. Hostile to the messenger. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit looked up to heaven amidst this hostility, and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he says, look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they cover their ears like children, yelling at the top of their voices like fools. And they all rushed at Stephen. And then they dragged him out of the city. These were religious leaders in this day. And they began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul, who is Paul. And this is huge. We're told in Acts 7, verse 59, while they were stoning him, in the process of this evil and hostility before him, while they're literally in the process of taking these stones and throwing them at him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then Stephen fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. Who's them? His enemies. Those who are hostile to him. And when Stephen had said this, he fell asleep and entered a quite nice reality. That's what it looks like to love your enemies and pray for them. To live full of the Spirit. To live differently. It doesn't mean you don't confront evil. You should confront evil. You should seek justice. But that's what it looks like to live full of the Spirit. You say, yeah, but how do I do that? How how can I be like Stephen? In essence, Stephen looks like Jesus on the cross, praying, Lord, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. How How do we live that way? How do we live so full of the Spirit in such a way? Well, in saying almost the exact same thing as Paul, again, Peter in 1 Peter 3, in the same context as Romans 12, said that we must set apart, I got that verse here, set 
Christ apart as Lord in your hearts. If you don't allow Jesus Lord of your entire life, good, bad, or ugly, then you will find it nearly impossible to live like Christ in a hostile world. You have to set Christ apart as Lord in your life in every aspect and area. Because if you don't, you'll find yourself repaying evil with evil, seeking your own revenge, full of rage and misery and grumbling all the time. You'll be overcome by evil. Set Christ apart as Lord in your hearts and in your minds because how you think will determine how you act because the internal determines the external. And Paul also puts a very crucial thought into this section. It's a thought that bears the why. Why ought I to live differently? Why should I pray for them? Why should I care about them? Paul would say so that they would be so moved by how different you are and your reaction is that maybe, just maybe, in their life there would come conviction, repentance, and salvation just like in your life. Paul was at the stoning of Stephen, leading the charge. As one commentator said, what we seek is a convicted heart, a transformed heart in all people. The commentator goes on to say, let us become the means by which the Holy Spirit uses us to attract others to the faith, even our enemies. There's an old story. It happened in 1985. Some of you might have heard this story. It was in New Orleans at a New Orleans public pool party. And all the the people were gathered there, something like 100 to 200 of them, to celebrate a drowning-free season. So there's close to 200 people at this party, with more than half of those being certified lifeguards, and four of them were on duty. At the end of the party, they discovered a man fully clothed, found at the bottom of the deep end. He had drowned. There are people, even our enemies, who are dying every day, who are lost. Right before our very eyes. Remember, as Paul would say elsewhere, as we saw this in Ephesians, our our true battle, our true enemy is not the person before us. It's these unseen spiritual rulers, the evil one. In essence, what Paul is calling us here to is a missional mindset, just as Christ had a missional mindset, just as Stephen had a missional mindset, even at his death. Henry Martin said, listen, the Spirit of Christ is the Spirit of missions. And the nearer we get to Him, the more intensely missionary we we become. 
But listen to me on this. The more intensely missionary you become, ask any missionary on the field, the more hostile the environment. Because we're in a spiritual war. And these unseen forces of evil, functioning, acting, and moving all about us, are seeking to wreak havoc in the world. They're hostile to you, to the church, and to the message of Jesus. And meanwhile, what's at stake are souls that are dying all around us. And we, the church, Jesus clearly said, we are the light and the darkness, the city on the hill, the salt of the earth. Thus, we must live differently. We must live as children of the light. Jesus said, listen, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. But then he goes on in Matthew 5, verse 45, and he says, so that you might show yourselves to be children of your Father in heaven. So that you might prove yourselves to the world that you belong to God himself. In other words, what's at stake is our witness and our position as the leaders of light and salt in the world full of darkness and unhealthy souls. Thus, we cannot afford to react according to the flesh. Souls are at stake. We must react according to the Spirit, live differently, so that like Paul, maybe such conviction would overcome them like burning coals on their head, which would lead them to repentance and salvation, which just happened in your life as well. So by the end of the game, against Putnam City Original, <laughs> we, my blood was boiling. But we were up like five to two. It was late in the game. And so my coach started pulling the starters. So late in the game, I'm sitting on the bench. And in high school soccer, I don't know if it's still this way, but there was, on the scoreboard, there would be a countdown. Just like in football and stuff, there would be a countdown on the clock. And so when that countdown hit zero, game over. And no joke, with less than 20 seconds left in the game, less than 20 seconds, finally the water boiled over and the fight broke out on the field. And I still remember one of our forwards jumping on a guy and punches being thrown and guys even on the bench stood up and stormed the field. And there I was in this moment of decision. I'm sitting on the bench. I was personally outraged. I was angry. My blood was boiling. I wanted to throw some punches. But I had a choice in that moment. How would I respond to this hostile environment? How would I respond to this dark situation, this hostile opposition? I stayed put. I didn't move. Because we had playoffs the next week. I had an All-State game upcoming. I was the captain of the team and one of two seniors. I knew I could not react like everyone else. I had to react differently or else it would jeopardize my witness as a leader for the team. Several had to sit out for the playoffs because of that fight. I would have had to sit out also. It would have jeopardized my witness as a leader for the team, and it would have jeopardized my position as an all-stater and as a captain for the team. Because of who I was on that team, I was called to think, to live, to act, to react, to speak differently. 
The same is true of us. You don't get the privilege to act now like the world gets to act because you no longer belong to the world. So how ought we to react towards the world? A world that loves darkness more than the light, a world whose ideology, perspective, behaviors, worldview, lifestyle stand in complete opposition to Christianity, a world that is hostile to Jesus and us as his followers? How should we react? Don't react by the flesh, react by the Spirit. Live differently. Don't repay evil for evil. Be careful. Think beforehand what you're going to do, what you're going to say. Seek to do what is right in everyone's eyes. Seek to live in peace with everyone as, as far as it's up to you. Don't take revenge. Don't be overcome by the temptation to react with evil. And instead, overcome evil with good. Feed your enemies. Give them something to, to drink. Live in such a way that they're so convicted, it leads them to repentance and salvation. Love your enemies. Pray for them so that you might show yourselves to be children of your Father in heaven. Live differently. With heads bowed, eyes closed, I'm going to invite the team forward. And some of us during this time of invitation, the Lord's just simply calling us to think differently about the world. To think differently. To act, to react differently. To think differently about that coworker, that friend, that neighbor, that family member, that person, that leader, that institution. doesn't mean you don't confront evil, doesn't mean you don't seek justice, doesn't mean you don't do those things, but he's causing you to think differently, to live differently. And maybe what he's calling us to do during this time of invitation is simply just to pray for those who are hostile to the message of Jesus and who are hostile to his church. That like Paul, that maybe just one day they might face conviction, repentance, and salvation. And be saved from their sin just as you were saved from your sin. Father, we come to you in this place right now. Stir our hearts and minds to respond to you. However it is we need to respond. For your glory. And we pray for those who are hostile to the message of Jesus, to the gospel, hostile to your church. I pray for conviction, repentance, and salvation. Just as you did in Paul's life, just as you did in our life. Help us to be so full of the spirit as Stephen was, that even before hostility and evil, we can still find ways to pray for our enemies. Help us to live differently, so proving to be your followers, your children. And help us to take heart knowing that you have overcome the world 
Help us to stand firm in the gospel for the gospel for your glory. In Christ's name I pray. I'm going to ask that you stand with me. If you need to make a decision about baptism, church membership, salvation, you just need prayer, you just want to come forward, now's the time to do that.